came back in the next day and I was, I was away with my boss for a client meeting and he gently pulled me aside and said, did you realize that when you sent that out to his entire client base, you hadn't changed the subject title back to what was already agreed? So I basically sent this email marketing campaign to his entire email base with all the attention of, on what the general day was. And the reason I mentioned this is I double checked everything down. Well, Neil, welcome to the show. I'm on guy, I'm Kevin. Awesome. So first of all, um, I did have a question for you, which is what's one piece of advice that you've received that seemed counterintuitive at first, but now that you think of it, you're just so grateful for receiving that. One example comes straight to mind, um, and that actually to do less. So I was, this was before my first child was born. Uh, we had a um, kind of almost like a, a, a coach for the senior leadership team, one of my previous businesses. Uh, we're talking thorough. We're talking about, I've always been hardworking. Uh, I've always uh, done as much as needed whenever it's needed. But what I also meant is I would take on as much as possible. I can do that. Give it to me. I'll get that done. We'll get that done. Uh, and his point of view was that actually it's not necessarily you're a busy fool, but actually you need to find a way in which you are more effective in a smaller window than knowing you've got a longer window and to do the same thing in. Because predominantly, I have a child coming. He's had kids himself. He's like, you're not going to have that evening to, to work anymore. You need that evening to dedicate to the family. Um, and it was amazing how um, strong that message was and how effective I can be when I've got a shorter window. And it's about, you know, you've got this deadline to hit this thing. You haven't got the evening to get this thing delivered. It has to get delivered by this point. And you've got to structure your day. Um, and it felt weird. It felt strange when he's saying, look, you need to find a way of actually doing less. Um, but actually what he meant was use the window that in which you work in and you'll find you're much more productive. And the next day, you're not as tired. You come back in and you're ready to go again, knowing that the day ends, then you're in your own world. You come back in again and you get going again. And it's uh, probably the one bit of advice that I'm like, you know what, you, you, you're totally right. It's changed how I approach projects and tasks. Yeah. I mean, we're not even into the episode and we're I'm already learning something. <laughs> it, it, it almost reminds me of, uh, you know all the all that research that came out. I think it's from just like in the Scandinavia region in general, mm. uh, where I forgot the country now. But basically, they're testing out like four day work weeks, or they have been testing them out, and to like great success. Basically, like people are just realizing that it, you know, this whole like five like nine to five Monday to Friday, this is a very much man made thing. This is not like a rule of law or like a a rule of yeah. life that you should work like that. And quite quite the opposite that like sometimes if you work less you can you you can actually get more. So I love the distinction you made between like oh it's not just like working less and and you know burning out less or or, or which leads to less burnout obviously, but it's it's still being super effective just in a shorter window of time. So that makes I a lot of sense. I, I found I'm more effective by doing less or. Uh, yeah, I'm the same to be being, honest. Yeah, being being tighter with the the time frame, I have to do something. That might just be some some subconscious procrastination. It might be perfectionism. But knowing you've got this time deadline, I have it strict. I've got it's family time and it's work time. <laughs> um, it, but yet the quality and the quantity isn't isn't reduced by just being more focused with my with my time. And uh, it was weird coming from somebody who's coming to coach the senior leadership team to say you need to stop working in the evening. I'm like, it doesn't make any sense, but he was, he was totally right. Yeah, 100%. I mean, like, 
I'm sure you and I can go on and on about this point, like Cal Newport in his book, Deep Work. We'll, we'll talk about books later on, okay. uh, uh, you know, but he talks about like, really, you're only as good as like four hours every day uh, to redo your best work. Anything else, you're pretty much running on fumes or you're lucky or it's a fluke, but you're not necessarily designed to create your best work for more than four hours a day. And, um, and, and if I, if, if memory serves, I think sometimes even less, like even like three to four hours wow. and that, that thought like excites me. And because even like with, with our startup, like we're always trying to figure out how do we, how do we obviously continue working on the right thing? Like when you're, when you're a startup, I'm sure it's the same thing for, for you guys at Twinview, you don't have a, um, a boss in like the traditional sort of like corporate sense of the world word, you can almost you can kind of do whatever you want, you know, in, in, in some way, shape or form. Uh, and this is exciting for about two, two days or so. And then it becomes really scary where it's like, wait, I could do anything. And it almost, at least, I don't know if, uh, if it's the same for you, but at least for me, like, I'm like, like the, the paradox of choice definitely kicks in where it's like, yeah, but if we do, um, you know, if we do SEO, maybe we can't do this other thing. Or if we do yeah. content, well, we have time for the other thing and so on. So, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the only other slight thing to add to that as well, another great bit of advice to the same gentleman was something that he's phrased as get the dog in the yard. And it's a little exercise he goes through, but the real kind of... In, in, in what sense? So the, the idea is if I ask you to think of a dog in a yard, you'll come up, you'll have a dog, you'll have a yard. But actually what you come up with doesn't necessarily align with what I asked you to do. So yes, you've, you've thought about a dog in a yard, but you don't know which dog. You don't know whether it was grass, whether it was, um, there were scents around it, whether it was large, whether it was small. There's lots of details that you didn't know because I didn't brief you correctly. And this concept of saying, uh, of almost being able to push back on a brief and say, I don't think I'll, I don't think we've got the same dog in the same yard, but I don't think the dog's in the yard, if that makes sense. Um, I need more information in this brief to make sure that what I give you back is exactly what you wanted. Otherwise, we're all wasting our time because I now have to go back to the drawer and do the same thing again. And um, But I always explain the dog in the yard concept to people who don't understand it. When they understand it, then it's just, look, I don't think the dog's in the yard. And it's all about that concept of saying, it's okay to put your hand up and say, I haven't got enough information. I need more from you. Otherwise, what you get back will just be chance if it's aligned with what you want. And, We've all had this, I'm sure you have, I have, where the thing that comes back isn't what you want. And it was, it's your fault. It's not their fault. It's your fault for not giving the correct brief. Yeah. Or the correct prompt and chat GPT. <laughs> true. True. Yeah. True. Right. I, I think, uh, like we can definitely do a better job of that. You know, when, whenever we're like thinking of like what needs to be done, I think with chat GPT, like we're all getting like a global lesson in like the importance of specificity and like really knowing what you want and yeah. setting the boundaries and you know what success looks like what it doesn't look like and so on excuse me um so i guess to, to set the stage tell us a little bit more about what you're currently doing and then we'll rewind the tape from there yeah so neil hancock i'm the cmo at a company called twin view so twin view is part of a wider group called the space group uh, the space group it was founded as, as an architect's firm who've always been the cutting edge of, of the industry um, and that has led to the development of, of Twinview. So a few years old now as a business. Um, so although we are a startup, we're within the stable of the, the space group. And Twinview is about taking sort of the enhancements in smart technology, predominantly in the home, and taking and applying it into the built environment. So 
that can be anything from just a traditional office block to offshore oil and gas through to universities, prisons, airports, spacecrafts, anything you want, race cars, all these kind of things in theory can take that, what you might have in your home where you have the ability to control your heating. That's a very, very simple technology. Well, it's probably a technology that's very simple to implement, but you could take that on scale and apply that to, to any any building you would want in the world, any asset you would want in the world. Yeah, you were, you were telling me the story about uh, Apollo, right? Yeah, so, so, so Apollo 13 is a, is a great example of somebody who used that, or I guess was the founder of the technology to some degree, and they were able to understand what was going on and run simulations of the Apollo 13 spacecraft after its accident to give the advice to the engineers and the, 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 um, the astronauts what to do to fix the problem to get them back. Yet they were 300,000 miles away from, uh, from Earth. Uh, and they only able to do that because they had a replica of the spacecraft digital replica they may have had a physical one as well um but they can run simulations on they can run tests they can understand the information and that that concept can be applied to a to a building to understand your carbon emission to understand where you're wasting energy and the future of it is to have the building control itself it knows when nobody's occupying a certain area turn the lights off turn the heating down it knows that if the outside temperature is spiked higher than expected what impact does that have to the temperature of the office needs to be? When you need to turn the boiler on earlier, you don't just set it come on at seven. It comes on dependent on the actual temperature of the, the building and the outside world. And um, so it's it's uh, it's a wonderful technology. What excites me about Twinview and the role I have is we're at the forefront. This, we're not selling widgets. We're not selling something that is um, has mass, mass, mass amounts of, of well-established competition. Us, alongside our competitors, are trying to drive the education to then ultimately sell the, the concept and the and so you yourself right now as as cmo in a, in a startup like that uh for folks who may not know like what are what does a day in the life look like for you in terms of roles and responsibilities very varied um so you know some days i have to have the strategic hat on some days it's about understanding where we position ourselves in this market and it's ever evolving um we also have to understand how we want to invest our budgets. So we have a finite budget as most startups do. Um, it's about which is the right lever to turn. So strategically, we have to sit down and we have to visualize that. But equally, we can't be held back by months and months and months of, of strategy and planning because that doesn't in itself achieve any growth. It's to underpin the growth. So other days, yeah, very much into the tactical changing, working with the team, content development, paid marketing strategies, events, organized events, attending events. It's, it's very varied, um, but it's, it fits me down to a key, uh, down to a T, sorry. I enjoy being strategic. I've always felt like I have a strategic mindset, but I would miss just sitting in the ivory tower and not getting hands dirty and doing some market campaigns and learning some stuff. And, yeah. And meeting some people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a real blend. The dog are on this. We grow as we develop. We'll bring more people in the team to support with some of the day-to-day delivery. Um, and yes, our role will become a little bit more strategic. Um, but at, you know, for a startup, it's, you've got to wear both hats. You've got to be comfortable knowing how marketing needs to be set up yeah. but really getting stuck in as well. 100%. Yeah, and I mean, it's um, we're not talking about books yet, but w- one one book that I'm talking about, I think too much on this podcast is... Uh, is I, I think I've I've been mentioning it every single episode. Uh, I apologize to folks who already know about this book, but basically Range by David Epstein, the subtitle of the book is How Generalists Triumph in a Specialist World. 
and it basically makes the case that you know what there is a there is such a thing as over specialization and there is such a thing as having a competitive advantage specifically because you are a generalist and to, to your point like you're pretty much able to zoom out and zoom in so let's let's rewind the tape now uh, obviously you you've had um, a whole history before twinview leading up to twinview so i suppose like going into like from childhood to early career to where you are today mm. i think we can use that as a canvas to look at the the five key moments so maybe tell us about a time where you uh you came across a, a proverbial landmine and you didn't know it until after the fact and what was that failure what did you learn from it yeah so from a, a failure perspective so I, i've got You'll notice when we talk about it, give me one failure, I'm, I'm going to give you two. Uh, that might be a trend throughout this. I'll give you almost like the runner-up, because um, when I want to tell a funny story. But I, I first job I, in, in marketing, I've been there, I don't know, maybe maybe three or four months, uh, running a simple email marketing campaign for a relatively tricky client. Um, was sending out these, get these remands, was sending out the tests to him. He, he was tweaking lots of things. He was tweaking his own things he'd already tweaked. So it, it got a bit frustrating. Then he was claiming... I can't see the emails. Could you change the subject line to for the attention of? I forget the gentleman's name, but his name. Um, so I did that, sent it through to him, checked it. We finally got to a place whereby he signed everything off. This was around, I'd had the 20th amend. Uh, it's getting late in the day. Thought, right, click, send, gone. Went home. Came back in the next day, and I was, I was away with my boss for a, for a, um, a client meeting. Uh, and he gently pulled me aside and said, um, did you realize that when you sent that out to his entire client base, you hadn't changed the subject title back to what was already agreed? So I basically sent this email marketing campaign to his entire email base with all the attention of on whatever the general's name was. Um, and the reason I mention this is I double check everything now. I don't assume because that was right originally that it's going to be right the second week, particularly on emails, but on genuine everything we do, it's that conscious of, okay, if everything is ready, just read through it again, just double check it, whether it be an internal email to a stakeholder, whether it be a big email marketing campaign sending out or paid marketing uh, campaign or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's funny. I, th I think everyone has kind of had some, I guess like some version of that where, you know, they, they hit send a bit too too early. And I think yeah. we, all, um, we, we all are very grateful for the i don't know if, if it's just me but like I, I imagine we're all grateful for the fact that when you send an email let's say on gmail it shows you that undo button or like the the retract button for like another three four seconds and i'm definitely yeah. one to make to make good use of that button like sometimes i just like to send something and then once it's like essentially sent in those like three seconds uh i'm like actually no wait undo i want to add more overthink or something so i'm with you on that Yes, yeah, it's just about that. Um, no matter how tired or how frustrated you are, or how long this process thinks have gone on, it's that just take a second, yeah, relook at things, uh, or get someone else to. If, if, if you know, if you're in it too much, get so. Can you just give me five minutes, please? I'll do it back to you further down the line. Just have, have I missed something because I've been in this this too much? Yeah. Um, but the, the real failure I wanted to talk about was um, is recruitment. So I've recruited lots and lots, lots of people for lots, lots of different businesses, lots, lots of different roles. Um, and one of the business I was at, we, we focused quite heavily in psychometrics. So we started so trying to understand the makeup of the team, the makeup of the business. And partly that was for how you communicate with people in the, in your team, in your business who, uh, have got different natural uh, psychological buildup than yourself. So, you know, we all know some people are, sure. are just 
100 mile an hour doers, some people are detailed, some people are creative, some people are um, kind of more the, the, the people people. And so it's all about that concept of if we know more about each other, uh, we can work more effectively. Mm-hmm. And off the back of that, I actually started recruiting purely based on psychometric profiling. Oh, like so this, I, like the disc profile and things like that. Like the disc profile stuff. So I we use a slightly different one, but exactly the same concept. So I identified that we had a bit of a misbalance in one of my teams. We had a lot of, of one particular makeup, or we'd had none of a different stat. So I'd made the conscious effort that we were going to recruit somebody who fit that profile. We found somebody off the chart on the thing I was looking for. Amazing, bring them in the business. Uh, um, but uh, and don't be wrong. There's a lot of conversation now around CVs are ineffective and we should be building on on things like your inbuilt psychological nature. However, what I'd done was so narrow in that sense, I hadn't understand the culture. I hadn't considered, would that individual actually fit in the team? Would that individual be able to enhance us or would actually would it tear us apart? And it, fortunately, it was the latter. The individual came in um, and just clashed with the team to a point where the team didn't enjoy working with them. And it almost created a, 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 a bigger disbalance in the team than I thought I was creating. But I would bring someone in who would be amazing at those skill sets that these people aren't great at and create that um, almost that joined up perfect fear of every, of every color. Um, and, I, and I didn't. I brought someone in who was actually didn't fit the culture of that team, let alone the, the, the wider business. Yeah, it, it's. I'm so glad you shared that because I've, I've, I can definitely relate to it almost like the, the inversion, the inversion of that. And I read about this in, again, with the books, I, I, I read about this in, um, a book by Dan Martell called buy back your time. And he was making the case that specifically for like the, the entrepreneurial types, uh, like, like me, unfortunately, uh, you know, it, it, it's really about like, you see opportunity in everything. Sometimes you see a person. And you, you, you look past the things that make them not a good fit per se. And you're like, no, 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 it, it'll work out. I'm sure you'll be great. You know, because <laughs> your job is to be an optimist like that, like by definition to, to, to start something from scratch, you need to be optimistic that you can go where there was nothing before and create something new, very simple concept. And so many times I would, to your point, like with the disc profile and, and just like these kind of like, um, this kind of like analysis where you basically look for people who are like, we have a lot of idea people on, on, in, in, in the team. Naturally, we want to get a lot more detail oriented people. And sometimes we realize, you know what, uh, someone is not necessarily the most detail oriented, but we're like, you know what, it'll, it'll be great. It'll work out. And it's almost like a double failure because not only did we not get what we want, but equally important, perhaps even more important is we didn't necessarily provide the right environment for that person to succeed because it's like hey i thought you guys are gonna help me like what's in it for them right like i'm i'm unable to build my my career the way i thought i would because of all these uh kind of like obstacles that you guys have have put in my way so it's it's almost like a double a double whammy in that regard so um it's interesting what you say where you almost like because the opposite is true like you were saying where if you focus purely on that and you almost disregard everything else that that's that's not any better it's you know I, i'm i'm quite analytical i like i like data um and it's a great example of me going too deep and the data telling you the answer and the data is not always right sometimes you need that shoot that guts instinct that human feel you need to take your head away from 
that it's ones and twos to actually not. It's we're, we're people. We're bigger than that. Um, and I just zoomed in on this. I've got a disbalance. This is our fix here, and it's and it's 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 black. It's black and white. The data tells me I need this type of person. What I ignored was the fact that actually this person wouldn't fit into the business. This person didn't have the values and the culture that everybody else here was recruited on. And actually bringing someone in who didn't maybe have the profile I wanted, but fit in the business would actually help elevate the wider team. Um, and it's just they end that whole process. And I've taken that, you know, again, I love data. I'm always in the data, but actually sometimes I just take a step back and go, yeah, but does this make sense? Does this feel right? It might tell me it's right, but does it, does it feel right? And you have the ability, Sonny, I believe you do, just to second guess the data, uh, just to go, is what ChatGPT telling me true? For example, it's not. It's not always just because it tells you it is. Yeah, I mean, I love what you said around how like, because you you know they say numbers don't lie, which which is fair enough. But numbers don't necessarily always give you the context that you need in that specific moment, and and that's where the the qualitative part comes to compensate or to to um, to marry with with the quantitative mm -hmm. part. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, what is one book? So a book that I've used a lot, um, again, you'll, you'll notice I've got two rather than one. The book I use a lot is the, the Simon Sinek Startup Why. I think it's, it's a great book, it's, but it's very well known. I'm pretty sure many people have talked about that book on your podcast. So I didn't want to talk about it. But I not, not yet, actually, but I imagine it's, it, it is definitely a popular book it's for coming. sure. Yeah, timeless. It's yeah. Coming. The one I want to talk about is one that people might not know particularly well. Uh, it was called, it's by someone called Simon Hartley, and it's called Two Lengths of a Pool. Um, and I'm a big sports fan. Uh, and I see the link between the kind of sports psychology and sports training with business. I think that it's not, you know, I'm not the only person in the world who talks. There's lots of books on this kind of sub subject. Taking the, the, the mentality of an elite athlete um, and how they go about improving themselves is exactly the same sort of mentality you can take and apply to business. And this book, Two Lambs of a Pool, is about Simon Hartley. He was um, a, uh, an Olympic gym, Olympic swimmer, sorry. He was... He was good. He was in the Olympics, but he was, he was never going to get into the finals, um, for example. And he brought in a psychologist and we're talking about why, what's going on, what's the problem. And it turned out that he had in his head a million and one things that he needed to manage as an athlete. He needed to sponsorships. He needed to manage uh, his locations. He needed to manage all, his... all the extracurricular stuff, really. All of that stuff that goes on. And what the psychologist said to him was, so surely your job is just to swim two lengths of the pool as fast as you can. And, he, and he's like, what are you on about? That's, that's rubbish. I've got blah, 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 blah. Went away, a little bit angry, came back. He's like, you know, you're right. My job is to swim two lengths of the pool as quick as I can. And he, they got to a point between a psychologist, oh, you are only going to do things that make you swim two lengths of the pool faster. Everything else is irrelevant. Um, and they effectively came up with five keys. Uh, so it's two lengths, five keys. And the five keys are effectively the five things he needed to do to swim two lengths to pull faster. And it got to a point, he tells a story about, I think it was Adidas, I forget who it was, but somebody came to him with sponsorship to wear the new, a new swim gear. He tried on, he swam, he actually swam slower. So all he was getting paid more money, he's like, no, that's not making me swim two lengths to the pool faster. I don't want it. I'm going to go with what, what works for me. Uh, and if you apply that to the business environment, and this is what we did at one of the businesses that previously is, it creates clarity. We're all so busy, particularly in marketing. There are so many things, so many disciplines in marketing, and there's usually pressures from so many parts of the business. You can get just buried, and this concept, what they're trying to get across in the book, was 
find actually the things that really matter to you and have the confidence to say those things don't matter. Yeah. What, what, what was an example of that in, in the company you're talking about? Like if, if we can add some color to it. So um, we had, um, for example, some um, in one of the departments I worked in, it was about client satisfaction. So we had, um, what about um, Keej was about how do we continue to maintain NPS? And then it was about, for example, um, if you take on uh, and you deliver certain initiatives that weren't going to improve client NPS, then what's the point of doing them? So it should all be about actually, you don't need to do, for example, you don't need to do, um, you don't need to be sending out lots and lots and lots and lots of comms. You don't need to be checking with all your clients on a regular basis. If actually that in itself isn't driving that, that NPS score. If what would drive NPS is by um, being doing less but more, adding more value in those conversations, that's what you might work on. If, for example, it was about um, improving um, organic search presence for one of your clients, um, supporting on some additional um, campaign within the business that's not aligned with that job your job is to improve your clients nps don't get involved you're not needed in that that part and it gave you almost the ability to say um those external things that i could be getting involved in i'll probably add value in yeah. aren't helping me to my my two lengths whether it be swimming yeah. a pool whether it be improving your organic revenue whether it be growing your mrr whether it be what win new business that's what you're focused on. And again, to that point of getting a dog in the yard, the same to the point, it's all about um, giving people confidence to say, no, this is my lane. This yep. is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be very, 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 very good at it. Um, and it, it's amazing um, how many, particularly if you're intelligent, particularly if you're hardworking, particularly if you're flexible, mm -hmm. you'll find that more stuff gets laid on you. It's like, oh, that's the right guy. Or that's the right girl to pick this task up. Yes, always. Just because... Because they'll do a good job. And if you are that type of person, you'll go, no worries, give it to me. Because I know I'll do a good job. Yeah. But all it does is distract you from what you're actually meant to be doing over here. Um, and again, it's, a, it's you know, if you implement it, you read the book and implement it yourself personally, it's easier if you get the whole business to understand what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Are you being paid if you're um, an employee or if you're the owner of the business, where are you getting your revenue from? By That's what you need to focus on delivering that thing. You might do an amazing job of hearing this thing, but that's not actually what you paid for. That's not actually what's going to be business. Yeah. And actually, just just to build on that, I'm not going to mention their name, uh, but someone someone on my team, which we which we love uh, dearly, who's, who's been with us for a while. Um, the other, I think the other day, they, they said something along, the, I'm paraphrasing greatly here, but they said something along the lines of, whatever it is, just give it to me. I'll get it done. I'll always say yes. I'm happy to help. I'm, I'm happy to get it done. Something along the lines of that. And I kind of took a mental note of like, uh, of a failure on my part to to basically foster foster and really like nurture a sense of prioritization and and yeah. the the importance of teaching or not teaching but like uh showing your team the, the benefits of saying no and pushing back and just because you know someone asks for something doesn't mean it's always necessarily a yes but rather having this sort of like healthy healthy healthier debate of like hey um, I hear what you're saying, but this is my priority right now. So unless the priorities have changed, I'm going to stick with the original plan. Like I would love to to have that dynamic. And this is yeah. something that we're always trying to work on more and more. As, 
totally. As a, as a founder or as, as leaders, you want people to push back. You yeah. want people to say, you didn't realize, but that's, that's, you know, that there's a problem. And then you can go, you're right, actually. Because then you'll burn out. I'll, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'll give that to somebody else. You're totally right. I've totally forgotten. I'd love for you did those three things. And I'll find someone else who can do that thing. And I, I'm, the, I'm the same. I, I was just taught myself as kind of in one role. I was always ahead of the, the small teams. Because it's like, yeah, we'll just throw another team on, team on Daniil. He'll manage it. He's good at that type of stuff. And it's like, but all the team got so little attention that they didn't progress as fast as they could if it was a small number. And again, that... That was a problem with me. I, I couldn't say no. I said, I know I can do a good job. Give it to me. I'll get it done. Um, and, you know, that you talk about uh, Dan, Dan Martel. Um, I've done a few classes with Dan Martel's done a few courses. And um, he's he's developed something that I really like as well. He developed this concept of, of quarterly goals. That's, that's not new. But his approach was um, take on one new project and improve two. Take on one new project and improve two. So rather than, see, so, so you've always got this, this mentality, I'm going to do one thing that's brand new that we've never done before, we're going to get that live. And then I'm going to take two things that need to be improved and I'm going to make them better. And then next quarter, take one brand new thing and two things to improve, or one brand new thing and two things to improve. And that concept of, you know, of, of decarbendalizing everything you've got to do in, 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 in a way, and that's a great bit of advice, but it's the same concept, really. Yeah, no, that's I've never heard that one before. That's really interesting. I I'm not part of any any of his uh, courses or groups, unfortunately. I just have the book, but hey, it's a it's a start. Yeah. Uh, so shifting gears once again, I know we've been uh, uh, going hard in the paint uh, to use a sports analogy on the professional side of things. So let let's step out of that for a second. Um, for one person, uh, who was who was someone maybe kind of like in your personal life that you feel. Um, Although they were kind of like behind the scenes, but they're really almost enabling you as a person and 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 everything that you're you're achieving professionally. So, it might sound a little corny, but I'd say to some degrees, I'd probably say my children. I can de- so I've got a, a two year old and an eighty seven year old, and I think you can almost pinpoint either when we were the wife was pregnant or when they were born in terms of a mental shift between. It no longer being about me and it being about us as a collective. So the decisions I make, the, the determination I have to succeed, whether that be in business, but also who I am as a person individually, um, I'll say has been driven by by them. So I, I, I had a great upbringing. I had, I had great parents. They, they were very keen to instill certain values into me, um, which I benefited from in my life that I wasn't maybe aware of when I was growing up, that it's, it's become more clear now as I'm older. Um, and I would say they must. Just, just in terms of, in terms of like, uh, in terms of like from a parenthood perspective or just in general, you mean? In general. So certainly general. I mean, in terms of some of the you know, things, the things that value, I value, value loyalty. I value honesty. I, you know, there are certain things that have obviously come from my upbringing and my, my parents. Like, but actually they've stead me in great, both in terms of being able to maintain strong friendship, but actually progress my career now these are the sort of skills that yes you can learn them you don't really learn that they, they come from you when you're growing up when you're a child they're they're, they're in built in you yeah um, and well my... neil neil on that let me let me ask you a weird question if you don't mind uh this is gonna sound weird but like do you find that your children have almost enabled your professional career or just helped you sort of um, it, it kind of shifted your priorities in the sense that 
you're you're not necessarily as crazy ambitious as you necessarily were before you're kind of focusing more on stability i don't know if my question makes sense but tell me if you get what i mean i i would say to some degree the, the opposite I, I think that they driven that ambition and that motivation uh, um love that you know all parents want their children to have the best life they possibly can and we all work hard and strive to to give it to them um i'm not saying i was a hard working previously but it's just one of the things i enjoy doing but um now it feels like actually it's it's about them i'm working to give them what they want and what they need yeah. rather than i'm working for me to have a nice holiday or have a nice car or or you know have a few drinks on the weekend it's yeah, yeah. actually the the drive and the goal is to get to a place where actually we can be financially secure for the children but that also drives the ability to go well, i could spend some more time with the children as well if, if that be the case so actually it's not it's about i wouldn't say being ambitious in the sense that i never see them there's a yeah, balance yeah. between that um clearly having time with the pairs is more important than having a lot of wealth if that makes sense mm-hmm. but actually those decisions that we're making is about enabling you know they could have something more they could have something extra if we make these decisions and do this thing professionally or for personal yeah 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 let me let me let me build on that a bit more for folks who are listening who are uh futurists and are thinking you know what we're living in the age of like um we're like you know age of like we have things like crypto we have like uh gpt like you know foreign and god knows what else is coming after that i would argue that I mean, they, they could say like, hey, hey, we would argue that like our kids are going to be so much more well off than us in the future just because it's going to get easier to, to be, let's call it financially independent. Uh, technology is getting easier. It's going to be more accessible and so on. And so this sort of, um, I, I speak for my family at least like, and, and the, uh, my grandparents, like this sort of like traditional notion of like, hey, we're going to work really hard because we're going to save some money so that we can give it to the kids so that they could use it for, you know, college or to start their lives or something like that and we live in a time where it's almost like they're gonna give us money or they're gonna be so financially well off just because of the way things are going um again not sure if this makes sense to you but but tell me if you get what i'm trying to say i get what you're trying to say but i would challenge that in the sense that um if you talk about a generation before or certainly in, in the here in the uk um a lot of growth was through um property so there's an old property grew, grew dramatically that that growth is slowing, but also that growth is hindering future generations. So, um, I've been read in, in London that like the average age price of buying your own home is is to late thirties. So people haven't people people can't get on that that ladder. People can't, and then you're effectively wasting money. So renting is is a waste. You're just giving somebody money away for no reason whatsoever. Paid their mortgage. So I actually think yes, there's um, there is the ability um, through things like crypto to to get. I don't know anything about crypto, by the way. This this was just an example. But 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 again, that is as any kind of investment a a, a gamble. Um, those things have still been there. The, the 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 investment you could make in our parents' generation, partly in our generation, is there are some much sounder, more sound investments. I don't know if those things exist anymore. So yeah, you'll get some people who will accelerate past the wealth we could ever have. But there'll be a lot of people that not necessarily in poverty, but that will that will struggle, and that you know, I'm saying, you know, university fees, for example, what are university? University fees are dramatically more than were when I went, um, and you're burdening people with so much debt that if they want to do it themselves, so my motivation is I started saving 
for my daughters before they were born because it's a minimal amount every month that it meant if they wanted to go to university, we can afford it. They don't have to leverage themselves with hundreds of thousands of pounds of debt. It's actually it's a small incremental bit for us, which means if they don't want to go to university, that's fine. They're not, it's not all the right route for everybody, but it's it's there if it's if it's is needed. Yeah, I, I I love I love your take on it. Um, at it 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 makes it makes sense, and I think what's exciting about the future is that there's just so many different ways that they'll be able to 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 grow and, and have us learn from them almost. And I think yeah. setting them up for success is is uh, is something that like no one no one no one can debate for sure. So uh, so yeah, let's shift gears once more. What is maybe a little bit closer to to where you are today at Twinview? What was uh, one decision for you? Again, I've got two. Uh, one slightly not allowing the question. Should have seen this coming. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to make the point. So I went, uh, so when I was eight, um, my family moved abroad. So we left UK and went and lived in, in Belgium. I lived there till I was 18, came back to the UK for university. Ah, cool. Do you speak uh, Flemish or French? So we learned, we learned French at school and I played for a local Flemish football club. So I, I learned Flemish in a way that I could communicate on the football pitch and in, in the, you know, in the, have a drink afterwards. Handy. I could, could hold, I could hold a conversation. Um, uh, in French, we learned French and German in school. So, well, I was, wasn't fluent. Um, you know, we, 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 again, reading stronger than, than my accent. I always had, I always had British accent. I can't get rid of that. So people can tell I'm clearly not French. Um, uh, but the, the point I was making is um, that taking yourself out of your comfort zone, and it doesn't have to be to, to Belgium, it could be to a different area within the UK, that traveling and seeing that the world is different outside your small pond, and even going to a different university, that's another example of being able to do it or going to a college somewhere else. Um, yeah. But that adaptability, that resilience, that perseverance, that being comfortable, not comfortable, and, uh, it's something I learned. I had to. It's not like I didn't have a choice. I was going over there, so my parents were going over there. Um, but having that, you know, that ability to do that helps. Um, so that that wasn't my decision; it was a decision I think I gained a lot from. In terms of my personal decision, I uh, grew up in the agency world. Um, agency is shiny; it's cool. We have beanbags and table football tables, and you get beers on Friday, and absolutely right. You get a variety of, of clients, and it's it's cool. It's presented; it marks itself as cool, and it was. I enjoyed it, throwing the deep end a little quickly. But I made a decision five years ago to leave the agency world and move move client side. So my uh, specialism was was SaaS, B two B SaaS ultimately, uh, but it could be any client side move you want to make. Um, and it's always nervous when you're in the agency world. The B two B or client side is boring. You've got one project, can't sign anything off, you can't go anywhere. But actually, it's probably the best decision professionally that I've made. Um, that ability to go from end to end, the ability to deliver and then deliver again and then see it to fruition. You'd always get that in the agency, just a small cog in a, in a, in a big in a big machine. Um, but there's a lot of people, I was one of those, a lot of people I know this like, I'm never going to, I go, go client side to retire. It's it's the place where you go just the end of your day so no pressure. Um, and and, it, and it's not like that. It's certainly not in the SaaS world that I'm in. Um, it's fast moving, it's forward thinking. Um, and, just so much more fulfillment. So a decision that I made that I massively value, and again, for anyone who's listening to this who may have experience or may live in that or want to go into that agency world, yeah, great. There's some good ways, fast ways to learn marketing. But actually, you're going to get more fulfilled by taking what you've learned and 
applying it to a business and you can see that growth and you are directly linked to that growth with that business. Yeah. And I mean, it's, um, it's interesting because like during, before setting up uh Chopcast with, with my brother, uh, four years ago, I was in HubSpot and in HubSpot, my job was to work with agencies to kind of, um, kind of like the movie Inception, if you, if you've seen it basically help them master inbound marketing and drive results with it as an agency. And then once they onboard clients, helping them to do that same thing for, for their clients as yep. it were. And, uh, it was great, but it also, you just felt to be honest, like you felt like you were, you, you weren't in on all of the action. And sometimes agencies would come, agencies would go, you're playing sort of like a, a small or like a transitory part in the journey, as opposed to say, you know, what, what we're doing right now, where it's like, Hey, you're, you're with the same brand, like, you know, week in, week out, year in, year out. And, and you just, you really settle in a lot more, uh, kind of reminds me of the, the renting versus buying analogy that we were talking about earlier. Totally. And you, you find yourself in bigger conversations, exposure to, to C-suite if you're working your way up. Yeah. Board meetings. That there are types of things that you just wouldn't get exposure to in the agency world. Certainly not regularly. Um, that just added benefits to your, your own personal growth. Yeah. So one one thing that struck me about your LinkedIn profile is that you have uh, you've done quite a lot. And I think you make it really easy for people to, to see what you've done because I think in every every section in your uh, and people like feel free to check out Neil's profile. Like you're, you're, you're very, you said you were detail oriented and you're not lying. <laughs> I think like for every section, like it's very clear what you were doing there as opposed to, oh, I, I, I was at this place doing what I couldn't tell you. Uh, and so I, I admire that. Um, uh, I, I admired that, but I also think this one is going to be challenging one. What is one learning you've had from all of the years of work that you've had so far that just stuck with you throughout, throughout your time? One learning. Um, I would suggest, and I think this will resonate with more people than than you expect, is that you are good enough. So I've always got a little bit of imposter syndrome, and I think a lot of people do. Um, and some of that detail comes with the fact that I, I need to prove that I do know what I'm talking about. I need to prove that I have got this experience. And... Um, and I don't want someone to find a hole in my, my idea or my tactic yeah, yeah. or my strategy or my CV. Um, I want to find that hole and I want to plug that hole. Um, and actually, it, it can be tiring at times that, you know, carried on with that, are you good enough mentality? And I think that's one of the things I've learned is um, most of us are, if not all of us, all of us are good at something. We figure what that thing are. But that a lot of us just need that confidence to try it and fail at stuff. I failed at lots of things. And that's how I know I'm good at things because I failed at them, I learned from them and got, and got them right. Yeah. Um, and do, do you find that in a weird way, sometimes the things that you fail at end up becoming your new favorite things because you just know it so well at this age? Totally. It, that example I gave you right at the start is around the email marketing stuff. Now I failed terribly at, at that. Um, but I know that I've learned from it and therefore I know that I'm much stronger and much, much better at it. And there's loads of things where it's, you, you, you don't want to, yeah. a great example is I don't believe I'm overly, yeah, creative is the wrong word, but for, from a design, I don't have a design eye necessarily. So I always leaned on designers. If, if I want, if, you know, if the blank sheet is the worst thing in the world to me, I need somebody to make this look, make this look good. 
Uh, and I've learned at Twinview, when we don't have as much resource around that, that actually, yeah, there are tools like Canva. There's some great tools that can help get you on the journey, but I can create things that look good. I can create things that people praise me about. But in back of my head, I'm going, could be better. That could be better. I, I don't know. But actually, having that confidence, and I've learned this over time, is if put things out, and you'll find that most people will find that way better than you, you anticipated. And those who don't, and this is something I learned around... Um, Position things as a draft. Even if you've spent years on this and you're so proud about it, position it as a draft because A, it's easier for people to feed back to you because they think, okay, this is just, it doesn't think it's finished, even though you really do. Uh, and also, it's easy for you to take that feedback on board because it's like, that was never the finished product anyway. That was always a draft, even though it really was in your mind that the finished product. Um, and you, but you also. Is it, is it more for others or more for you? To say it that way. It's a, it's a yeah. bit of both, but it's, it's managing that whole imposter syndrome of, I can't do this. I'm not good enough at this. Yeah. Um, I love I that. The draft mindset. Yeah. And it's some, uh, always live life in Beedra, I heard someone say, which I thought was, was a really good saying. Uh, say, that, say that again. Sorry. Always live life in beta. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Which I think is a great saying, but it, it's that whole concept of you put this stuff out, and if it gets torn apart, you've got a safe space. It was never finished. It was, it, it was never complete. It, 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 it was expected to get better. Uh -huh. But more often than not, people go, brilliant, really liked it, that's really good. Because you are good enough to do this stuff. You've got the experience, you've done it before, and it, that's just a way of dealing with it. I, I don't know how many people on the, the, the listen to the podcast feel at times they're not good enough, but it'll be way more than you, way more than you think. I've yeah. managed loads of people who've clearly got each confidence issues. Um, and, and just on, just on that, Neil, as well, like I think for folks tuning in, um, I guess like just just to help clarify what you're saying, we're not we're not talking about. I don't think Neil's talking about uh, getting a whole a, a free pass to not do your your best, as it were. It's more it's more so doing your best, but also recognizing that it's always going to be in constant improvement, isn't it? And it's putting a safety blanket over you. So there's plenty of things, you know, if you have elements of imposter syndrome it can often lead to procrastination yeah because and, and perfectionism 100 and those two those two things certainly in growing businesses but probably in life are massive weaknesses mm -hmm. but i understand where they come from i've gone through my career and there are times i've had both of those two challenges um and it's about creating that safety blanket for you that you can put things out move things forward even if you don't think it's perfect, even if you don't think it's good enough, or even if you don't think you're good enough to do this thing, yeah, there's your safety blanket of, well, I was taking that feedback on to improve it. But you'll find, and this is the the the, the bit that I hope people take from the, the whether they're listening, you'll find that more often than not, you don't get much negative feedback because you are good enough, and it is good enough, uh -huh. and it's good enough for them. They, that's fine. Let's go. Let's get it done. And you, I know this with many bosses I've worked with. They'd rather get things out at 80% than wait for 100% or never even achieve it at 100%. And yep. If you think you're not good enough, you just, you just got to stop putting it out. And that's the worst thing you can, you can yeah. do. Yeah. And, and what if, you know, here's an interesting thought. What if 100% is a, is a subjective thing or a, an, an, a something that doesn't even exist really, you know, that, that could be something worth pondering as well. And, and you talk about always improving, we never get to hundred. We never get to hundred percent. Um, so using that as a, as a, I'm not going to put it out, it's not perfect, sometimes comes from the fact that you just, there, there is a, you know, you feel like you don't deserve to be there, or you feel like you don't have the skills. You, 
You really, yeah. really do. You really do. You just need to showcase them, have the confidence to showcase them. And I found it's a great safety blanket. I love that. I was living life in Beta. Beta. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Um, as someone who is uh, who, who suffers from imposter syndrome on a, on a regular basis, both in my professional life and also in uh, my personal life, like I, I play guitar, I try to record some songs, and I, the solo is not quite uh, sophisticated enough. I'm like, oh, that's so predictable or whatever. So I, I, I'd never end up releasing songs, even though I used to do that once upon a time, like a hundred years ago. Uh, so this is definitely helpful for me personally. So so yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and it kind of I know we were talking about Dan Martel, uh, another business coach that I think Dan Martel uh, cites as well is uh, Coach Dan Sullivan, and he talks about something that you've alluded to, Neil, which is this notion of let eighty percent be the new hundred percent because you still got eighty percent of the thing done, which is the majority of it, and then your next milestone maybe uh, similar to what you're talking about in terms of like your quarterly goals are like one one net new thing and then two kind of like improvements one of your your quarterly goals could basically be doing that doing another 80 percent push on on the remaining 20 percent um and then another and then another and if for, for all the math um uh, experts out there definitely not me uh I, I i did it with a calculator and you realize that you never actually get to 100 you're always like 99 point something uh, it's pretty annoying <laughs> <laughs> but but it proves the point that like um, you're always just working into in eighty percent increments and yes indeed the first eighty percent is is the biggest leap you do. Mm. Totally yeah mate it mate you explained in a really strong way there that you keep adding value you never get and you still never get hundred percent it just just doesn't yeah. happen and you get as close to it as you as you feel comfortable and for me I'm happy with eighty percent if some people want ninety percent okay it's right till they get the ninety percent yeah fair enough. So Neil, we can keep talking as uh, as you can see. I feel I feel like you and I are both holding back because like we have so much more to talk about, but we're both trying to be concise uh, for for the sake of our listeners as well. So I just wanted to say um, in closing, where can people find you, and is there anything that you wanted to give uh, either as yourself or as Twingview? Yes. Yeah, so um, Neil and Hancock on LinkedIn, best place to to, to get me and find me. Um, and for those listeners, it you know if if they want to continue the conversation with me, LinkedIn is the best place to do it. Um, what I would suggest though is reference this podcast. I get a lot of requests on LinkedIn, and I'm pretty careful on who I I let in the into my ecosystem. I make sense, but if people reference a podcast, I know it's from you guys, and I'll make sure you get accepted. Um, and yeah, look, I, I take a lot of passion from seeing predominantly people I work with, I guess, growing and improving and going on to bigger and better things. Um, so I'll always try and find time to help people out if they can, whether that be through some um, long-distance mentoring or even just answering answering questions. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you soon. Thank you, Karim. Take care.